You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. Great seeing everybody here and those of you online. So glad you joined us. Um, We are kicking off a new series today called Living in the Last Days. Never taught on anything like this before, so hopefully it goes okay, you know. Um, But I have studied Revelation quite a bit, and uh, I actually took an entire study uh, break week, studied 40 plus hours before I ever even started studying this last week. I took off a, a week during the, during the summer months and went up to Flagstaff and studied in times. It was really funny. I walked into a gas station. Guy goes, what are you doing up here? I'm like, I'm studying. He goes, what you studying? I'm like, in times. He's like, oh, one of you. You know, it's like, because everybody gets tweaked out, freaked out about the end time stuff. So, I mean, it's very, very, very interesting to me. But there is this uh, reality, right, that we kind of have this longing in us to know. Like we, this is why we have psychics. This is why we have uh, uh, palm readers. This is why there's tarot cards. There's, this is why you open that fortune cookie and you're like, yeah, kind of true, kind of. And then you keep it in your car for like three weeks and then you're like, whatever. Uh, this, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, listen to this. Eternity is set in the hearts of men and women. Eternity. Something in me and you longs for something inside of us, this innate desire for eternity. The word revelation literally means to reveal something that was previously unknown. My argument will be, over the next eight weeks, you are going to learn something previously unknown, and it will be surprisingly and satisfying, helpful to your soul. That's what I believe. We all long to know more, though. I remember uh, just recently, uh, uh, during the summer, it was dark. I had the truck packed. Everything was loaded. Ice chest, tents, uh, all sorts of gear and luggage. The fishing poles were all there. The truck was packed. It was early in the morning, and I was ready to go. And I told Maya, my little daughter, who's now... Uh, nine years old, I told her we were going on this trip and she was so excited. She had been so anticipating this. How many folks do we have in here with parents with little kids? Raise your hand. There we go. A bunch of you. So you know how this kind of goes. Kid knows, anticipates, and they say questions like this. They say, hey, uh, when do we leave for the trip? And you're like, in a few days. And they're like, tomorrow? And you're like, no, not tomorrow. I said a few days. The next day they're like, hey, when do we leave on that trip? You're like, it's tomorrow. Does that mean tonight? No, it's not tonight. So you, they're just anticipating. They want. So I walk into the room. It's like dark 30. I walk in, open the door. I'm like flick, flicker on the little lamp light. And I say, hey, Maya. Hey, sweetie, are you ready? She pops out of bed. I'm like, whoa. And she goes, I'm ready. Like anti-sleepy voice. I'm ready. I said, oh, great. And she's fully dressed. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I've been ready. So we get in the truck. I'm like, all right, we're so excited. We get in the truck. We're going camping. We're driving down the road. And she's like, ask the classic question, are we there yet? I'm like, no, it's a five-hour drive. It's going to be a long time. What's around this corner? What's over here? I'm like, the conversation goes crazy for a long, long time. She's asking every day, what are we going to do when we get there? What are we going to see? What do you think we're going to do? When we get there, do you think we'll catch fish? Do you think we're going to see bears? Do you think we're going to? She's just longing to know. Here's what I believe about the child 
It's really interesting because Jesus says, uh, you're to have faith like a what? He never told you to have faith like a man. He never said, have faith like a grown lady. He just said, have faith like a what? Child. There's something about a child that should teach us about actually all of our Christian life. And this innate desire to know the future, what's around the corner? What does the next season of my life hold? That's in every single person on the planet. Christian, non-Christian, Mormon, Muslim, you name it. It doesn't matter. Everybody wants to know. This is why Sedona is the hot spot for the palm readers. This is why you go down to New Orleans and everybody's hanging out with the tarot cards and trying to show you tricks and tips about your future. This is it. The psychic hotlines, 20% of Americans believe that the world will end in the next two decades. I find that pretty shocking, like crazy. Like, let's, let me show this statistic. 20% of Americans believe like the world is coming to an end. I asked our graphic designer, I said, hey, we're doing a series on the last days, and he came up with this image. I'm like, dude, that's kind of like telling. Like, cities are burning around the country. There's like craziness going on everywhere. And there's this kind of sense that something's coming, and we long as people to know what's next, Another research, uh, as of 2010, Pew Research uh, reported that 41% of Americans, listen to this, 41% of Americans believe Jesus will probably or definitely return to earth by 2050. That's like, that's a lot of folks that believe that. So there's this anticipation, there's this innate desire within us to kind of know what's next. How many of you guys remember uh, Y2K? Some of you are too young, you don't know what we're talking about. But that's back when like computers were just getting going and we're like, the computers are gonna break. And then in Arkansas, I can, I can rag on Arkansas because I'm from Arkansas. So in Arkansas, did you know that they actually invented something incredibly special? They invented the toothpick. Did you know that? Because if it was anywhere else, it would have been the teeth pick. You're with me. I got you. So Arkansas, you know, folks out there, when Y2K hit, they're like, head to the heels. In a disaster in Arkansas, do you know what the uh, emergency response plan is? Meet at Walmart. If something happens, go to Walmart. We'll all meet at Walmart. Doesn't matter. (laughs) That was our plan too. No, I'm joking. But during Y2K, it was crazy. All these uh, hillbillies and rednecks, um, they just ran to the hills. I, I, I remember hearing stories about folks. They were like, it's just kind of apocalyptic. It was icy and all the cows were sliding down the hills and it's the end of the world. I mean, Arkansas has got some good folks. I mean, we are educated at some level. I mean, you got Sam Walton, Bill Dillard, Tyson, uh, Stevens Incorporated, Altel came out, which is now AT&T. So there's some educated hillbillies there. And there's a difference between hillbilly and redneck. And so rednecks are just country folks that worked hard and they got rednecks. We're probably more of the rednecks in our family. And then uh, the hillbillies live in the sticks. And the hillbillies are the ones that actually would build bunkers. And they got really afraid. They got guns. They got things going on. And everybody thought it was the end of the world during Y2K. And uh, 
depending on where you lived um, and kind of the family or the religious atmosphere that you were a part of probably helped you, would probably determine kind of the experience that you had during Y2K. Um, right now in the political season, you're going to see a whole rise of people like labeling uh, people the Antichrist, right? It happens every season. You know, somebody rises up, they're like, he's the Antichrist. I'm going to teach you about the Antichrist in the coming weeks ahead, and it's, it's not going to be an American, sorry. Um, but, you know, we all kind of want to know. Some of you are obsessed and you're stressed about the living in the last days. Some of you are, are stressed out. Prophecies never intended to stress you out, to stress you, but to bless you. So today's theme, you're going to find out about blessing. I want you as blessed as possible as a believer. Um, but you might be obsessed and stressed if these things are true about you. So Jerry Jeff Foxworthy does, you might be a redneck if. This is top 10 uh, Top 10 tests to see if you're obsessed and stressed over prophecy. Number one, you leave the top down on your convertible in case the rapture happens. You're ready to go. Number two, you never buy green bananas because you just never know. Number three, you find yourself singing the hit 1987 hit song, It's the End of the World as We Know It by R-E-M. Some of you are like, what's that? Number four, barcode scanners make you nervous. You don't like those. Number five, you refuse a tax refund check because the amount comes to 666. You can name number six, you can, oh, you can name uh, more signs and times than you, of the times than you can commandments of the Bible. Number seven, you believe that the original Greek and Hebrew text is with Schofield's notes. Number eight, you believe the term church fathers refer to Hal Lindsey and Tim LaHaye. Number nine, you get goosebumps when you hear a trumpet. Number 10, you use the left behind books as devotional reading. (laughs) You just might be obsessed with prophecy if that's you. I'm not. I scored pretty low on that thing. But I will tell you, I do love prophecy. And I love uh, reading about Revelation. And I'll tell you why I love prophecy, because prophecy um, actually helps me to see the end of the story. Because, right, listen, as a Christian, most of you all know prophecies about Jesus and his first coming. The prophet Micah said that that the Messiah would be born in the city of, let's try that again. The prophet Micah said the Messiah would be born in the town of, there you go. And the prophet Isaiah said that uh, the, the Messiah would be born of a, oh, those are, all, that's all, those are all prophecies. So we tend to love the prophecies as it comes to the first coming, but what about the second? What if I told you there's actually more prophecies about his second coming than his first? That, that ought to do something for us. I want to know. Remember walking into Dallas Seminary class, I love the seminary because they teach you to study all 66 books. I went down there, I got two master's degrees in three years, I was like, the emoji with the brain exploding, that's what I was. And I was 
like it was blowing my mind. And then I got into the revelation class and I was studying underneath the, the professor named Dr. Hitchcock. Google him, check him out. Wrote like 30 books on end time stuff, mentored by a guy named John Walvard, and then mentored by another guy named Dr. Pentecost. I'm like, where do these guys get the names? <laughs> Pentecost Hitchcock. So I'm like, man, maybe, I mean, nothing sounds cool. Like Ryan Rice. I had a guy one time introduce me. They go, this is Reverend Ryan Rice. I'm like, please don't say that. That just sounds weird. These guys were amazing, though. They taught me, and I love the story of Scripture, seeing the end of the story, like Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. So where do we get these terms, last days? You see it, uh, you'll see it in the series. The term actually comes out of the Scriptures very clearly. In Hebrews 1.12, it talks about uh, the last days that has been spoken to us, and it's about his son, Jesus. And so the word last days or end times, I want to help you to understand that. In the New Testament, that's at the back end of your Bible. It's um, um, really good. You should read a lot of the New Testament. You can go to the front of your Bible in the table of contents and see Old Testament, New Testament. 66 books, they all weave together, one big common thread, Name Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So in, in the New Testament, the term last days most often refers to a time period that began with Christ and his first coming and the end at the rapture. All throughout scripture, uh, this term last days describes a final period of the world as we know it. Kind of the, the end of the story. In Genesis, you open up the Bible and you see the creation of the world. This is the story of the end of the world. And we are in the last days. In fact, the disciples, the apostles, all taught that Jesus Christ could come at any point in time. And we are in the last days of God's redemptive plans and purposes for the world. So we are in the last days. So if you hear somebody say, are we in the last days? You say, yes, we are in the last days. How long could those last days be? Could it be days, like days, days? Or could it be a long days, days, days? It could be a long time. It could be short. But nothing needs to happen in order for Jesus to return now, at least for the rapture to happen. And I'll teach about the rapture. I'll teach about the tribulation. I'm going to teach about the antichrist. I'm going to teach about signs of the times. I'm going to teach about the millennial kingdom. I'm going to teach about the new heaven, the new earth, all of that stuff. And I hope that you're going to be deeply blessed as a result of this. New Testament writers regarded themselves being in the last days, and so should we. But what about the prophets? When you hear somebody say, oh, so-and-so is a prophet, or she's a prophet, or he's a prophet. What should you think about that? Well, notice what Jesus said about prophets. He said this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 16. And we like Jesus at this church a whole lot. We worship him, follow him, and live for him. He says this, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Like they look innocent. They look sweet. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. We all know that wolves kill sheep. If you go up to the White Mountains, there's a, a Mexican gray wolf out there right now, and I don't, they've got a major fund to stockpile money into that thing to get the wolves out there. And guess who hates the wolves? All the shepherds and all the ranchers, and they hate them. Why? Because the wolves eat them. So Jesus says these false prophets, they're ferocious wolves, and by their fruit, meaning their virtues, their character, you will, what? Recognize them. 
So how can you tell between a real prophet and a false prophet? Because prophecy is predicting the future. When I'm going to be teaching you about prophecy, it's about the future. I'm a futurist. I think the Bible portrays future. So you're going to learn future prophecies, not about the first coming of Jesus. Nope, that's done and gone. Jesus, we're going to learn about the second coming of Jesus Christ. So prophecy, you have prophets, and prophets are all over the place. And Jesus says, watch out for false ones. Do you think of, in your mind, when I say a false prophet, who do you think of? Well, I remember when I was a brand new Christian, somebody handed me Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, handed me a Bible, handed me a Keith Green CD, and said, you're good to go. And I'm like, okay, this guy sounds really old and like kind of like hippie Christian music, but he's pretty good. Systematic theology was pretty good. Bible was really good. And I studied like crazy. And then my friend said, hey man, we left the party scene. We're no more raving, no more partying. We came to know Jesus and we're going down to Waco. I'm like, Waco? What's in Waco? And I remember telling my parents, and they're like, Waco, what do you want to do down there? I'm like, there's this really cool church. And they're like, tell me it's not part of that David Koresh thing. I'm like, no. I mean, for us, you got to realize this is way before Chip and Joanne with Fixer Upper made Waco cool. Um, Many of you might recall in 1990, the wacko from Waco, David Koresh. We didn't have anything to do with that thing. We went down there. We had some friends that were a part of Baylor University, and they were all growing in their faith, and there was like revival breaking out. And I'm a brand new Christian. They're doing these things called Holy Spirit parties. And I'm like, well, it's better than doing drugs and alcohol, so I'll go to this Holy Spirit party. So I'm hanging out with them. I'm reading the Bible and learning about all this stuff, learning about the end times. I'm learning everything while I'm going to school. And I didn't sleep much, but it was good. And I remember hearing the stories about people that actually had lost family members through the David Koresh incident. Like, that's a big deal down there. And nobody thinks about that now. How did he get there? I'll tell you how he got there. He twisted the scriptures. He took this last days thing and like interwove it into his theology. He actually called himself the Messiah Most people called him a madman. And he gathered a bunch of members. He taught the scriptures a lot, but he twisted them. And he gathered ignorant people, and I would call them ignorant, that did not understand the Bible very well. They totally hook, line, and sinker believed him. He became the Messiah. America and the federal government became the Babylon that they were against. And all the cult members were a part of the faithful tribe surviving the tribulation. So what he did was he escalated his eschatology. That's the study of the end times, super fast. And somehow he made himself. And so now there's still a group of people, just by the way, that are waiting on David Koresh to resurrect because they think he's the Messiah. This is crazy stuff. I mean, this happened. It was a doomsday scenario. It was all over the news, all over everywhere. He manipulated all these people. It was a 51-day showdown between federal agents and members of this cult. It was a sad story. The world stood by watching this apocalyptic nightmare on TV unfold, and it was, went down in history. as called the Waco Siege. If you want to check it out on Amazon or Netflix or Hulu, you're probably, there's all sorts of documentaries about it. But this was in my time. These are people that I interacted with at Johnny Carino's on Valley Mills Road. 
about the Waco siege? How does your theology get so screwed up that you're leading a cult following and go down in history as the Waco siege? They lit the compound on fire. Many believe David Koresh did it as an act of heroicism to, to that he would be faithful to the end, quoting Scripture. And the battle ended when the compound went up in flames, leaving 75 people dead, including 25 children. It's crazy. How do, how do you get there? Another story real quick about just crazy prophets. These are fake and phonies that you need to watch out for. And they will rise up in the next six to seven weeks in our country. You're going to see some folks rise up. It's happened for, for years. You can think back of perhaps Harold Camping in the 90s, and then he did it in early 2000. He predicted the end of the world. You remember that? And it didn't happen. It was a sad story. But he freaked a lot of people out. I was in Colorado. I was uh, driving to Colorado. I, I, had, I anchored down in Little Rock, Arkansas. I got most of my uh, bachelor's degree out of uh, University of Arkansas at Little Rock. And during the summer, I worked in Colorado as a river guide on class three, four, and five whitewater um, as a group of Christians that were adventure seekers and would take people down um, you know, every, every day in the morning, in the afternoon, and it was awesome. I loved it. Had a vest on the back of my life jacket and had uh, Psalms 123, I love the Lord because he heard my voice, because he heard his cry, I will call on him as long as I live. And everybody would always ask me, dude, is this, is this like your testimony? I'm like, yeah, that's my testimony. That's my story, man. I love the Lord. And I could tell everybody about Jesus. And one day I left Buena Vista and I went down to Colorado Springs and I'm down there and I see this gas station. I need some gas. So I pull over at my old K5 Blazer and I get some gas and pumping some gas. And I see this crazy wild haired dude. He's like, eyes me. And I'm like 19 years old. And I'm like, like kind of like, he looked like Charles Manson. I'm like, I got to get out of here. And then he comes up to me and he goes, hey man, you a Christian? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I, actually, I am a Christian. He's like, yeah, I'd love to buy you dinner. I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good, dude. I'm good. No, we're good. God bless you. See ya. So I get in my truck and I drive. I'm like, dude, I am hungry. So I'm like, I'm going to go into this diner. I lied to that guy, Lord. I'm sorry. Um, I go into the diner and guess who's sitting there? So when you're a new Christian, you don't know, like, is this God. Or is this the devil? Like, what's going on? So I walk in, I'm like, oh, snap. And he's like, hey, I, th- I thought you said you weren't hungry. I said, well, I was I just, I, I'm actually not hungry. I'm good. I was just coming in here. See you. And he goes, no, 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 come on. Let me, I insist. Let me buy you dinner. I said, I'm like broke college student. I'm like, sure. Sit down. This guy's like, listen, man. Jesus radically changed my life. I'm like, me too. He's like, Man, I tell you what, though, I've been reading the Bible. I said, so, so have I. He goes, I think it's the end. And I was like, the end of what? He's like, the world. And I'm like, I do too, I think. I don't know, maybe. And then he says, uh, look, man, I'm looking for some people. I'm looking for some people that are brave, courageous, young, strong. I'm like, okay, sounds like me. So then he says to me, he goes, I'm building a militia. I'm like, dude, this sounds freaky. I'm like hobbling down my hash browns quick now. And I say, okay, uh, yeah, that's cool. Uh, 
oh, I like guns, but I don't know about a militia. And then all of a sudden he says, you know, I'm, I'm looking for, for people that would work with me. I mean, I think it's the end of the world, man. And I think that, and he just started unloading. And I'm talking Bible verses were flowing out of this man's mouth. And I'm talking like powerful scriptures. And I didn't feel the Holy Spirit in that moment. I started feeling like demonic oppression going on. And I got nervous because I'm a new Christian. I don't know what's going on. And this guy's like starting to get all heated up. So then I'm like, hey, you know what? I really appreciate, you know, dinner. That was great. I got to go. I got a job. I got to get to in Buena Vista. So I walk outside and the guy goes, he puts his hand on my shoulder and goes, wait, I didn't finish. I'm like, dude, get your hand off me, man. And he gets in my face and he goes, listen, do you not have faith? Do you not believe? And he's like looking crazy eyed and his hair is crazy. And I'm like, Lord Jesus, I don't know if I should trust this man. He looks like John the Baptist eats locusts and loves honey, but I don't like him. And he's scaring me, freaking me out. Help me, Jesus. So I'm like praying with like not talking. And this guy goes, listen, if you're going to reject me, I'm going to call down fire on you. And I'm like, okay, this guy's lost his cookies. He is toast. This is crazy. So I'm like, all right, dude, listen, I just got to go. I like pulled out my keys and I'm like, I got to go. Just please leave me alone. And then he starts yelling. And then he starts quoting scripture. And then he starts praying, right now, Lord, Jesus, bring down fire. Bring down lightning on this man who does not believe. Vindicate your servant. And I'm like, you know what? I was like, I didn't know what I was doing. Something snapped in me. And I go, no, 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 Lord Jesus, help this man. He's whacked out. <laughs> and we're having a crazy prayer match in the parking lot. And people are like, y'all okay? I'm like, yeah. So finally some people come out of the restaurant and they like grab this guy. Is this guy harassing you? We've seen Crazy Larry running around here for a while. I'm like, get Crazy Larry. I jump in my truck, I drive back, and I'm like, dude, my world was blown out of that. I was shaking all the way back on, I guess it's Highway 24 West, headed back to Buena Vista. My heart was just, I was, it was like, I don't know if you've ever been in an intense spiritual battle like that, but it was twisted. But you know what it did? It challenged me to say, you better get in God's word, Ryan. What if I was some like uh, messed up uh, kid whose dad left? Mom was on drugs. Cops came in, took mom, put me in CPS. I hated the government. I hated uh, the federal authorities. I hated the system. And I'm angry. And I meet that guy. And he tells me, you're strong. You're a good guy. I'm looking for brave people. It's the end of the world. They're doing us wrong. What would I have done? I probably would have joined this guy. Why is it important to study prophecy? Because you need to be grounded, ladies and gentlemen. You're not going to probably meet crazy Larry like I did, but you're going to meet some crazies. And you've got to figure out what to do and how to live your life. So how can we tell a real prophet from a fake prophet? Number one, they are called. These are called people. When you look at the scriptures, you've got to think about, they have a special calling on their life, meaning a divine intervention comes to their life, supernatural, extraordinary, unrepeatable kind of episode. Think about Moses in the burning bush. Fire flowing out of the bush. Moses, follow me. 
Or think about Isaiah through a vision, or Jeremiah that was still in his mother's womb, or Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel was near a river, God called on him, or Amos who was just a shepherd, or Jonah who's called by God to go to Nineveh. These are called people. This is why you also have problems with people self-appointing themselves, because they're like, well, God called me. And you're like, uh, did he? So that's why there were so many false prophets during Jesus' time because they actually did have a kind of a, a superior role within society. But they weren't like kings and priests. Kings are born into a lineage of kings or princes or priests. These people aren't born into that. It's a supernatural calling on their life. So, number one, the prophet does have to be called. Listen to the words of Amos, the prophet. He says, I'm not a professional prophet, meaning I didn't, I didn't train for this stuff, and I was never trained to be one. I'm just a shepherd, and I take care of some sycamore fig trees. But the Lord called me away from my flock and said, go prophesy to my people in Israel. Amos chapter 7, verses 14 through 15. They're called. They're called by God. Secondly, they have character. This is how you start weeding them out. They have character that's consistent with Scripture. In other words, that they, if you were to cut them, they bleed Bible. They're, they're deeply, thoroughly consistent with Scripture. And whatever message that they say has to be consistent with Scripture, clarified in Scripture, and it needs to be built upon previous divine revelation, prophetic literature, not abolishing it. Remember when Jesus said, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to what? Fulfill it. Secondly, they have character. These are godly individuals. Thirdly, they have courage. You got to have courage to be a prophet. You ever heard it? Man, that guy's like a prophet in his time. Think about Jonah. He had to have courage. He's going to Nineveh, his nation's enemy, Israel's nation, national enemy. Um, think about the, the others within Scripture. They, prophets tend to speak up when you read in the Bible. They speak about this impending judgment. In other words, like you better get your life right. They're not trying to scare everybody, but they're trying to prepare everybody. They speak about impending judgment. They speak about social injustices. They condemned idolatry. And interesting enough, they also they spoke about a coming Messiah in the Old Testament. We see that. They experienced both praise and persecution, antagonism and accolades, honor and harassment. They didn't choose their calling. Their calling chose them. They, didn't, they weren't qualified necessarily, but God qualifies all those whom he calls. That's the story of a prophet. And so they had immense courage. Think about Samuel in the scriptures. His first assignment was to confront the high priest. Or what about Nathan who had to confront King David about his affair and his cover-up? Or Jonah who was called to Nineveh against the nation of Nineveh and, and he called them to repentance. It's not an easy job. But here's something that you probably don't know about prophets is as well, they have their characteristic is that they actually do comfort. They bring comfort. Not only do they show their courage, but they bring comfort. In Isaiah, it says, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her about the sad days that are gone and sins that are pardoned. In Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, he talks about how those that prophesy speak to people, strengthening and encouraging and comforting. If you find a prophet who self-proclaims self, themselves as a prophet, 
there, there will be a comforting component to their message. So why should we study prophecy? Number one, I'll say this is why we should study prophecy. Number one, we should study prophecy because prophecy, the Bible is all about prophecy. The Bible is a book on prophecy. So why should you endeavor to study and learn about prophecy? Well, if you love the Bible, you ought to love prophecy. Entire books of the Bible are prophetic in nature from minor prophets to major prophets, minor prophets being Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Those are some good ideas for some names of you, those who want to name your kids. I particularly like Nahum. Who's that? Nahum. I haven't heard of Nahum. I've heard of Malachi and heard of some of these others and Jonah and I hadn't met a Zephaniah, but you, if, I, if I saw a Zephaniah, he's probably got to have long hair and with no shoes on, right? I'm Zephaniah. <laughs> he looked like a Zephaniah. Or what about the major prophets? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, not to mention in the New Testament, Thessalonians and Revelations. The book is about prophecy, ladies and gentlemen. You love the Bible, you love prophecy. 28.5% of the Old Testament is about prophecy, 21.5% of the New Testament is about prophecy, and 27% of the entire Bible is about prophecy. That's a lot of prophecy. So you've got to ask yourself, should I pay attention if the Bible, in, in Bible study methods, it's called the law of proportion. So those of you that like to study the Bible, you study whatever, what, uh, what makes up a high uh, percentage of being related to. So imagine you're a student at a local university or community college or high school. Maybe you're going to just go get your, you know, graduate, maybe get your GED, maybe go get an associate's degree, maybe a bachelor's, maybe go get a master's, maybe go get a doctorate, I don't know. Say you walk into class and the professor's like, here's the syllabus, here's the books, here's what you're going to need to learn, and you look at it and you're like, one third of this, I ain't studying that. What would happen to your grade? One-third, you dismiss. You're not going to go to one-third of the classes. You're not going to read one-third of the textbooks. You're not going to listen to the lectures. You're not going to study with your study group. What would happen? You, you'd probably fail it. You'd, if you didn't fail it, you'd probably get a D. If we approach the Bible with this mindset, I'm not going to touch prophecy, it's like you're dismissing that. You don't see medical doctors saying, well, a third of this stuff I just dismiss or lawyers, or whatever be the practice or the trade, or nurses. You, you have to take it all. Of the 333 prophecies about Jesus, listen to this. Of the 333 prophecies about Jesus, only 109 were fulfilled in his first coming, leaving 224 yet to be fulfilled in his second coming. So what does that mean? That means that there's far more prophecies that are too calm. That's why I'm a futurist as a believer then have already taken place. So yeah, let's celebrate. Micah predicted the location of the Messiah. Woo! Isaiah said he was going to be the suffering servant. Isaiah also said that he'd be born of the Virgin Mary. Great! But what about his second coming? What did they say? The minor prophets, the major prophets. Did they say much at all? Oh yeah, they did. There's so many prophecies that 
There's 224 yet to be fulfilled in his second coming. So, why should we study prophecy? Number one, the Bible is a book on prophecy. Number two, there is a blessing for those who study prophecy. I like this one. There's a lot of reasons why I study prophecy. I'm only choosing three. I could easily come up with 10 to 12 reasons, but I picked the top three because I want you to get it. This is one of my favorites. Um, this reason is there are blessings for those who study prophecy. What do you mean by blessings, Pastor Ryan? What I mean by blessings is that exactly what the scripture says. Let's, let's read it. Revelation 1.3, it says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. You might be saying, the time is near. I mean, wasn't wasn't that near? Because that was written a long time ago. The time is near, the last days. We're in the last days until the rapture happens. Once the rapture happens, that's the change of time. We're no longer in the last days at that moment. So I'll teach you about that later. But this blessing concept, the book of Revelation has been called by pastors, theologians, smart thinkers, and folks called the book of blessing. There's a seven different blessings that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. I'll have to teach you those on another time. But I'm just laying down this foundation that there's, the Bible says that there's blessing for those who do a couple of things. Look at the passage again. There's three different ways that we can be blessed when we're approaching prophecy. Blessed is the one who reads aloud, who, secondly, and blessed are those who hear, and blessed are those who keep. So it's like this. Number one, if you read it, if you hear it, and then if you keep it, there's blessing. You might say, well, what kind of blessings would those be, Pastor Ryan? I would say, I think it'll lower your stress, number one. There's a lot of blessings, I'm sure. You say, how, how, how would it lower my stress? Well, if I know how things are going to work, and I know my e- eternity is secure, and I see how things are being played out, I feel better about even my current situation. Prophecy gives us perspective. If you, it's like, imagine you DVR or you record a football game, a football game that you love. And, you know, I mean, and it's so funny how we yell at the TV, like, we're going to do something for the team by yelling at the team. Come on, you should have done that. Like, oh, why don't we just make you a coach? Put the headphones on you and make you a coach. That'd be cool. But if you imagine you DVR the, 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 the game, the game you love, and then you watch it ahead of time, and, or you, you, you read the result, you know what, who's going to win, who's not. Well, you can kind of go into the game just a little easier because you're not wondering what's happening. You, you've got it all figured out in your head. I know how this is going to end, so now I'm just going to watch it peacefully. When we read God's Word, we hear it, and then we begin to keep it, I think it brings a blessing. There's many of us with prophecy that it, is, it scares us. And the Bible actually teaches that we are not to be scared with prophecy, but prepared with prophecy. That we're not to stress, but we're to be blessed. And so there's this blessing promise from the book of Revelation about prophecy. And then number three, why study prophecy? This is a huge one, and it's this. It's all about Jesus. Prophecy is all about Jesus. 
Revelation 19.10 says this, for the essence of prophecy is to give clear witness for Jesus. You know what was wrong with David Koresh? He wasn't all about Jesus. You know who it was about? David. Go back. Do your little fact-checking. He wasn't talking about Jesus. Who was he talking about? He's talking about himself. He inserted himself as the Messiah. When you find people, and they're talking about future stuff, and they're not talking about Jesus, you found yourself a false prophet. Do they exist? Yes. Can they predict the future? Yes, they can. Can they perform miracles? Yes, they can. By whose spirit and power do they do that? By Beelzebub, by the devil, by Satan, by the deceiver. I went up to Sedona and I spent time, you would think I'm crazy, but I spent time with um, some of the most uh, world-renowned uh, psychics and palm readers and all this stuff, and they're telling me all about Sedona. I did a series years ago, and I just kind of like acted like I was like this, in, kind of like an inquiring enthusiast about spiritual realities. That's kind of how I framed myself. They didn't know I was like deeply, thoroughly Christian, love the Bible, preach Jesus all the time. So I go in and I'm like, can we go, like, can you show me the vortex? Can you show me this? Can you do this? Like, how do you talk to the dead? They, like, can, like, channel into the past life and help you talk to dead family members. It's some pretty weird stuff. And then they can tell you about the future and stuff like that. And they've got all these experts. Just, just Google Sedona. Don't go there. Don't, don't do what I did because you better be geared up, Holy Spirit-powered and Bible-saturated if you're going to go into that. I did that, though. And I talked to these people, and they told me, I kept saying, by whose authority and power do you do that? And they would say things like this. It's the spirit force. I'm like, you mean like, like the Holy Spirit? No, 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 no. Not the Holy Spirit. But it's just a spirit force. Well, what is that spirit force like? Well, there's lots of different spirits, Ryan. And, and they, I can access them. I talk to them. I commune with them. And I've dedicated my whole life to the spirits leading. Well, which spirit? Well, all sorts of spirits. Are, are some of them good, some of them bad? And the response was, yeah, I think some of them are good and some of them are bad, but the ones that help me are, are a little nasty. What? Why are they making money in Sedona? Two reasons. Number one, Ecclesiastes 3.11, eternity is etched into the heart of man. People want to know. You want to know. That's biblical. That's right. That's normal. Secondly, they actually do a lot of what they say. Is it a hoax? Some of it, I'm sure. Do they access all that stuff? I think they do. You think about in the Old Testament when Moses had a showdown with Pharaoh, what are they doing? They're doing miracles on both sides. Don't underestimate the power of the supernatural. That'd be my, my encouragement to you, friends. Don't play around with Ouija boards. Don't play around with tarot cards. Don't play around with horoscopes. Don't play around with sorcery. Don't play around with witchcraft. Don't play around with anything like that. But look to the Bible. And it's all about Jesus. If you found a, a false prophet, he's not talking about Jesus. If you find a real prophet, he's talking about Jesus all the time. Prophetic literature that's all about Jesus. Let me just name some. Genesis 3.15. I love it. Genesis, the very beginning of the book, says, He is the deliverer that will crush the serpent's head. Who's the serpent? That's Satan. Who's the deliverer? That's Jesus. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Right there. Boom. Prophecy. All of prophetic literature 
is highlighting Jesus. He is the Passover lamb in Exodus chapter 12. He is the wonderful and mighty God, Isaiah chapter 9. He is the suffering servant, Isaiah chapter 53. He is the ruler and the king over all the earth, Revelation chapter 1. He's the alpha. He's the omega, Revelation 1 and 22. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Revelation chapter 19. It's all about Jesus. If you're finding folks that are helpful to you, but they're not talking about Jesus, get away. Stay away. If they talk about others, but they're not talking about Jesus or false prophet, Jesus said you can judge, uh, judge them by the fruit, their character, their lifestyle, who they are. Well, in closing, I'll tell you this story. I remember uh, recently uh, I lost my ring. I, I told you the story. I was out at Bartlett Lake, and I was on... Um, I was out there playing in Rattlesnake Cove. Somehow I lost my wedding ring. My, my ring drops down in the cove. I lose it. I'm terribly sad because I've had it for like 18 years. It's a beautiful ring. I love my wife. I'm so proud of that. I lose everything, but I never lost my ring. So I was proud of that. And I, I, I talked to some of you guys and you're like, don't worry, I lost like five of those. I'm like, man, I'm not as bad as you. That's great. I feel good. I lost my first one. And then I go back, I'm like, was that like with one wife or like, yeah, they're like, that's not funny, Ryan. I'm sorry, just joking. Uh, So I lose my wedding ring, goes down in the cove. And then I told you all the Facebook haters were like, oh, we're praying. Or some of them were like, you know, they're being mean. Some of them were being nice. They're like, oh, praying for you. Hope you find your ring. Uh, You got to talk to Man Plus River. He's like a a YouTube celebrity guy, Man Plus River. Look him up, like 47 million views. And I'm like, dude, I can never talk to them. I was like trying to approach an NFL football player or celebrity, like, hey, you want to help me? And like, who are you? I'm chump change, you know? Like, I'm nobody, but would you help me find my ring? So my son finds out, says, dad, you should do that. I'm like, no, nobody will do that, you know? And then weeks go by, I decide to do it. So then I reach out to this guy and he's like, no, I can't help you because I'm like in like, the Canary Islands looking for a lost treasure. And I'm like, oh. So, and then so he's like, but my cousins are in Mesa and they can help you. They just opened a YouTube channel called Trip and Dive and they're like pros. They got metal detectors and everything. So I'm like, dude, that is awesome. Like, I can't believe I'm talking to Man Plus River. This is awesome. My son's like, I told you, dad, I told you. YouTube's the way. So like, whatever, dude. Um, so I'm like, okay, fine. So I'm talking to this trip and dive team. And so we go out there and we're looking for my ring. And I feel pretty cool. They got cameras or got GoPros and we're doing this. I'm like, hey, I'm Ryan, Pastor Ryan, lost my wedding ring. And uh, we do the filming and then we go down. We go, oh, we got the metal detectors and we go down there and we dive. And I got this pro team with me. We look and we look and we do days of diving. I mean, so cool for them to do. It didn't cost me anything. So we're diving and we're looking and we're looking and we're looking. And at the end, it's like, Ryan, I'm so sorry. We just can't find it. And I was like, there was like a piece of like sadness there for me in the cove. Because I was like, I, don't, I got nothing else. If trip and dive can't find it, I'm, I'm lost. Like, it's over. So I'm loading my scuba tanks up. They say goodbye, you know. And I'm like, it's okay, man. I appreciate it. You did all you could do. It's cool. So I get in the truck and I'm loading up. My wife's like, are you done? Because I'm, you've been doing this for way too long. Like you got an excuse to be an adventurer. Like, are you coming home? I'm like, I'm, I'm, come, come, I'm coming home. So I'm on my way and I'm driving. And I just have this conversation with the Lord. 
I'm like, Lord, I tried. I tried to find that ring. And uh, I'm, I wish I could find it. And right then and there, I, I don't want to say this, thus saith the Lord, but I felt like the Lord said to me, Ryan, if you don't find it in this lifetime, we'll work on it in the next. And I thought, man, that's cool. And I said, amen. And I started thinking about it. How was my mind informed by that? I'll tell you how. Because the Bible says that there's one day that's coming. There's a series of events in our world. And there is a rapture. There is a tribulation. And then after this tribulation, there is a return of Jesus Christ. And there is a millennial kingdom set up on earth for a thousand years. The earth, the phoenix as we know it. The Dallas the Portland, every city in America, the world as we know it will be a thousand-year reign with all believers, and we get assignments and responsibilities, and there's reward, and there is just cool stuff going on. And Jesus, the King of Kings, rules out of Israel, Jerusalem, newsflash. That's why Jerusalem's so important for generations and generations to come is because there's prophetic literature tied to this. Jesus is going to rule and reign, and we're going to have opportunities to engage in business and art and science and trade. There'll be roadways. There'll be, there'll be an entire God-governed government established. And I thought to myself as I'm driving, I'm like, Lord, that is cool. Like, if in the millennium I can find it, that's pretty amazing. And I just drove back home with a sense of pleasure and satisfaction. I'm like, well, I give it a go. I walk in and she's like, you don't seem sad anymore. I said, well, if I can't find it in this life, I'm going to find it in the millennium. She's like, what? You've been watching Star Trek? (laughs) No. God's word tells us what's going to happen. God's word tells you that you don't need to be scared. You need to be prepared. God's word says, I don't want you stressed but I want you blessed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for blessing. Thank you that in the book of Revelation, we see that those who read it, those who hear it, those who keep it will be blessed. Lord, so I pray for blessing on everybody here as they look to the book, as they saturate their soul with Scripture, as they look towards their Savior, you, Jesus, I pray that they would take a a ferocious approach to ingesting a scripture into their lives and Bible into their lives. And Lord, be prepared, not scared, and to be blessed, not stressed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey guys, this is going to be an awesome series. I'm looking forward to it. I've been studying a lot for it, and I hope you're encouraged by it. And uh, we've been blessed as a church. I love this church. And I'm proud of you too. Because of your faithfulness and your giving, we're able to go out in, in this time and actually show some love. So check this video out. Hey, North Valley, did you know that when you give financially to our church, we're out showing some love? Each and every week, we're going out to help deliver a special gift, a special surprise, some random act of kindness to people in our community. This week, we got to go out and bless Phoenix Fire Station number 55. When you give financially, you're helping show some love. Thanks for all that you do. 
You can see in this video that we were able to deliver some food, some great old barbecue for our friends right next door. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.